Hello, everybody. Welcome to No Filler with Joe Miller, where we talk about everything NBA basketball. Joining me today is a writer for Dallas Mavericks fan sided website, The Smoking Cuban, where he talks all things Dallas Mavericks. It's Tyler Watts. We're about to break down Dallas Mavericks team for this upcoming season. Tyler, welcome to the program. Thanks for coming on. How's it going? <laughs> it's going. I mean, <laughs> about as well as it can be right now. How about yourself? Oh, I guess I can't complain. It's a crazy world out there for sure. Definitely. <laughs> it's weird whenever I have people on the show, it's that kind of, it's been that kind of response lately. Just like, oh, we're surviving. We're <laughs> trying to make it, but. Well, it's crazy that basketball is coming back, you know, so soon too. So crazy. Yeah, no, like in three weeks, it's going to be opening night at this point. It's, it's moving right along. It's. <laughs> it's something especially with like the season ending in October and now it's back just mid-December like two months later it's I know well and the off season was so short I mean like you feel like every move happened in like a week I was like trying to figure out who's even on some teams some days I'm like wait he plays for them and I'm like trying to think <laughs> about it like I guess he does play for them now <laughs> <laughs> no I totally get that uh I was doing a piece breaking down the Eastern Conference moves the other day and I just forgot to mention that like Tony Snell went to the Atlanta Hawks and I felt really <laughs> dumb after the fact because I was like they're really only adding like Chris Dunn for defense that's kind of weird like you figure they'd add some more defenders but they did I just couldn't keep up with, <laughs> with <laughs> well, all- that's how it was. and like a lot of those you know Tony Snell type guys you know they kind of just flew under the radar because you know you spent so much time thinking about the big names and then you know those guys just kind of got lost in the shuffle because it was all happening so so quickly yeah, like the Chris Paul trade, the Josh Richardson trade, like all of those trades got a bunch of attention. And then those other signings, like you're saying, just completely swept under the rug. So getting into the Mavericks, the reason I wanted to have you on is because I think they're in an interesting situation where last season they finished seventh in the Western Conference. Obviously, the difference between the seventh and third seed is not that much. They were only four games back from the Nuggets who finished in that slot. Oklahoma City's probably not going to make it back to the playoff picture, so can definitely see them going up to six for sure, maybe even higher. What do you think Dallas's uh, ceiling is this year, and where do you think they will ultimately end up finishing by the end of the 2021 season? Well, you know, that's a real good question. Um, I think that their goal is to be in the top four. Um, I think they can get there. I mean, they were sixth in the NBA in point differential last season. And really what killed them was they were real bad in clutch games. I mean, they were 17 and 24 in clutch games and they were 20th in the NBA in winning percentage. So they just lost a lot of really close games. Um, I think, you know, some better luck there, you know, they win some of those games. I think they're maybe a top four team in the West. And I would go as far as to say they are. I mean, I think the Lakers and Clippers are probably, you know, the top two right now. I think it's them in Portland for third and fourth, you know, they got to beat the jazz. They got to beat the nuggets, but you know, you ask any Mavs fan, they were excited about facing the Jazz with the Nuggets in the first round. They just didn't want to play the Clippers. And then, of course, that was the matchup that happened. And Dallas had them on the ropes there for a little bit. <laughs> so, yeah, actually, I do want to get into that Clippers series because Luka Doncic, I don't think he'll ever have a playoff series where he's against that many elite perimeter defenders again. And he was doing pretty great in moments in that series. Of course, he hit that buzzer beater. He scored 27 10 and 10 pretty frequently what were your thoughts on Luca, especially in those matchups where even against guys like Kawhi Leonard Paul George he seemed to still be cooking guys and 
getting his shots where he could take them. Yeah. And so like people want to talk about those, his playoff averages and they were actually even a lot better. Like he injured his ankle in the third quarter of that third game. And so, you know, you take that game out of there, like those numbers are, are, are pretty fantastic for Luca. And he's really at that point where almost no one can stop him. Like he can get to anywhere he wants on the floor. And so, you know, you, you look at it and you're like, man, this kid's only 21. Like how much better can he actually get? And I've written a couple of pieces over the last few months, you know, trying to say, when does he become the best player in the NBA? Cause I think that moment's coming, right? It's just, when does it come? Yeah. In regards to Luca, like you said, this man is ridiculously young. He's barely a year older than me, which is kind of scary, <laughs> <laughs> but he finished fourth in MVP voting averaging 28.8 points per game, 9.4 rebounds a game, 8.8 assists per game. He's improved his efficiency up to 46.3 from the field. And he's doing this in his sophomore season in the NBA. You figure this guy's just going to keep getting better. Like he's already getting into that top five player conversation. So do you think, I know you've mentioned Luca taking a leap in some of your articles recently. Do you think this is going to be the season where he does take that leap? Yes. So I, I've per- prognosticated that he averages a 30 point triple double per game this year and it's really not that crazy he did it for the entire month of november last year if you take out the couple games where he injured his ankle midway through the game like he only played a minute against the heat i think it was in mid-december because he injured his ankle like almost on the like right at the beginning and then didn't play anymore you know that's his path to winning the mvp this year can he do it that's a good question. And maybe the Porzingis injury helps him a little bit, right? With no KP, they're going to ask him to do a little more. And he already does so much, right? But they're going to ask him to do even a little bit more. And that's probably the path to averaging that 30-point triple-double a game and winning the MVP. Yeah, I was going to ask, in terms of areas of Luca's game that I think he can improve, the one that really s- sticks out to me is his three-point shooting, where obviously – Last season, he regressed slightly. It was about a percentage point, so I'm not going to nitpick here. (laughs) He shot 31.5% from beyond the arc. Obviously, a lot of those attempts are step backs and hard shots, but if he can increase that number up to like 36, 37 even, that takes his scoring average up two or three points. He's getting to that 30-point triple-double pretty easily like you're talking about. Do you think we're going to see some type of shooting percentage increase from three? This year? Uh, for sure. So last year he shot 36% when the shot clock was from 15 to four seconds. Really where he struggled the most was he was four of 58 on late shot clock threes. I don't know that that's even repeatable, right? Like nobody can be that bad again. Four of 58 is a ridiculously small percentage. And I think Luca just needs to, he can shoot and he's actually a really good shooter. He just needs to kind of hone in when to shoot. And even those early clock, like sometimes he would get hot, he'd get rolling, he'd fire up a three right at the beginning of the shot clock. And those were also very bad. So he's got to just pick his spots a little better. And I think he could easily shoot 35, 36%. I'm actually, uh, <laughs> I'm uh, interviewing someone who covers the Atlanta Hawks tomorrow I'm assuming you still think uh, the Dallas Mavericks got the better end of that trade from a few years ago. <laughs> uh, I cannot believe the Hawks made that trade. And as crazy it was, like, you're looking at it, and, and I still don't know how he fell to third, and I still don't know how the Hawks made the trade. Like, the, the kid won the EuroLeague MVP, and it's arguably the second best league in the world, and he was the MVP. Like, it wasn't like he was just playing minutes and playing well. 
And so I, I don't really get why, you know, other teams wanted other players, but yeah, I mean, I think that was a slam dunk trade for the Mavericks and they were, they were doing a dance when they got that, that deal done. Yeah. I remember uh, looking at draft content before that draft and seeing like, okay, I could understand maybe DeAndre Ayton going above Luca just because of his frame seven one. But when I saw the Kings select Marvin Bagley <laughs> ahead of Luka Doncic, that was a head scratcher <laughs> for me. I was just thinking like, because I'm a, I'm from Memphis, so I follow the Grizzlies a lot. And I think Jaron was probably the best available at four. So I was hoping Luca would fall to us, but <laughs> the Hawks did not what, grace What's us crazy is back then I, I wrote for the fan-sided King site and I, I wrote, you know, like they've got to take him. Like the Suns are going to take eight and he's from Phoenix. Like they had to, they, they had to do that. So I was like, the Kings have to take Luca, And it made sense, right? Vladi was in charge. If anyone should have known a kid from Slovenia, it should have been Vladi. And so I, I don't know. That was another head scratcher for the Kings, right? Yeah, and somehow the Dallas Mavericks have lucked their way into another superstar European player <laughs> <laughs> who could win several MVPs. I don't know how you guys keep doing well, that. Well, what was crazy about that too was like, you know, they had him obviously number one on their board. But they were th- they had the third worst record in the league that year, so they were planning on being in the top three. And their plan was actually to trade up. If they stayed at three, their plan was to try to trade up to one to get him. And then they fell to five, and they're like, "Oh, we're not going to get him now." And then he fell to three, and the Hawks were like, "We'll do the deal." And they oh, they were so happy. <laughs> that's just that's going to be that's going to be a off season move that's discussed. I think going forward i think like 20 30 years from now we're going to be talking about that trade as something that's just one of those infamous nba moments sort of like that kobe bryant trade that sent him from his draft rights from charlotte to the lakers something like that where it's just like charlotte really they gave up on kobe bryant why did they do that (laughs) i'm totally with you there luca he's he's on track to be if he's not already a top five player he's in that conversation most websites have either him as the favorite to win the MVP or sort of in that co-MVP range with Giannis but if Giannis were to win it that would be his third in three years which has not been done since Wilt Chamberlain I believe Uh, Larry Bird Bird did it in the 80s oh okay Larry Bird did it and and some of the the MVP thing is like a narrative thing right like you know Harden always complains that he loses on the narrative and and this and that and you you can argue he puts up great stats but and I think that that might help Luca. So if Luca wins, he's going to be the youngest one ever. He has so Derek Rose is the youngest one right now. Um, he has all the way until September seventh, twenty twenty one, to be as old as Rose was when he won it. So as long as they hand out the trophy before the September seventh of two thousand twenty one, Luca's going to be the youngest one ever. I think that actually plays in Luca's favor too, because people are going to be like, "Oh man, we can give it to him. He's the youngest one ever." If he averages the 30-point triple-double, I don't see any way he doesn't win it. Yeah, I definitely think there's no way he falls outside of that top three in the MVP conversation. I could see maybe Giannis up there with another Defensive Player of the Year MVP season, but I don't know if they'll give it to him three years in a row. That just seems or it just, it just especially seems crazy, right? with like yeah. other players. Yeah, like it's just in terms of narrative, that just hasn't happened. We see a lot of back-to-back MVPs, but three in a row is just it's hard for me to imagine the voters doing that, but Thor's up. moving on enough, Luca talk. <laughs> uh, I want to reference you, uh, that piece you were talking about with uh, the ESPN rankings of Dallas and the uh, six in the Western conference overall, where 
you wrote that Portland needs a healthy Yusuf Nurkic and Zach Collins to be a top four team in the West, just as the Mavericks must have Kristaps Porzingis and Dwight Powell, both at 100%. So both of these guys are crucial to your team, pick and roll offense, spacing the floor with Kristaps Porzingis. So you wrote that Kristaps Porzingis is probably not going to rejoin the team at least for the first two or three weeks of the season when do you project him coming back so the Mavs will tell you it's going to be in early January he had a meniscus repair in October you know you look up any any website they say the meniscus repair three to six months so early January would be three months that's the low end of the timetable I think the Mavericks are going to be super cautious with him they you know they signed to that five-year max last year he does have a player option in the last year so they got one year of that done he's going to be there for at least three more years they are priming themselves for the playoffs, right? They, they, they're pretty sure they're going to make it. They need KP healthy in the playoffs. They saw that. They had the Clippers right where they wanted them in those first three games. So they need KP healthy. I think they bring him back slow. I think he does come back in December. I think he's – or come back in January, I'm sorry. He's on a minutes limit. He probably isn't playing his full workload until early February, maybe mid-February. In regards to – Kristaps Porzingis, his injury history as a whole, like you said, you have him under contract for three years and then the option would make it four. Does his long list of injuries, especially in his left leg, I know the meniscus injury happened in his right. Does that concern you, especially given the fact that he's owed around $120 million over the next four years? Uh, It's not great, right? I'm not super worried about it. I think KP, we saw the best KP we've ever seen in the bubble, right? Like he was averaging 30 points a game. He made the all season, I think second team. He was so good in the bubble and then the injury happened and the injury was kind of a freak thing. Like kind of got that knee landed on funny and I'm not super worried about it, but I think the Mavs are going to keep being cautious with him because they don't want it to happen. And, you know, we'll see what happens. So in regards to Kristaps Porzingis' skill set, do you think he's best suited to play the four on this team alongside Dwight Powell, or do you think he's best at the five with a Dorian Finney Smith at the four? So that's the big, that's one of the big questions I think for the Mavs this year. And then this one, they're not going to figure out in training camp, right? Cause KP is not going to be healthy. I think for Chris Stapps, his best numbers are going to come at the five. The Mavericks actually had a better offense with KP at the four last year and Dwight Powell at the five. So their offensive rating, which was the best in NBA history was actually better when Dwight Powell played. I think that they're going to play less the white pal this year, just because they have a lot more options and they're going to play KP a lot at the five, but I think you're going to see, you're going to see a mix of both, right? Like they're going to, and then in the playoffs, I think KP's a five, like in, in the games that they need to win when it gets close, I think KP plays the five. I don't want to ask about the Porzingis post-up game because I remember that Rick Carlisle <laughs> soundbite from earlier last season when a reporter asked him about that and he was a, not happy with that so question. He actually, so. <laughs> you know, he didn't really embrace it fully at the beginning of the year, you know, kind of being more of a, a, sh- a floor spacer, a three-point shooter, getting rid of some of those mid-range games. But I think at the end in the bubble, he really bought into like, I'm going to roll to the rim and I'm going to shoot threes. And I think he realized like, I'm unbelievable when I do that. Like, I mean, he averaged 30 points a game. Does the success of a guy like Anthony Davis in the playoffs make you more optimistic about this seven foot four guy who can play the four or the five can shoot threes, can 
rush inside and is just sort of unguardable given his skill set. Are you more encouraged by Kristaps Porzingis seeing how Anthony Davis was able to dominate? Oh, for the sure. And I think the Lakers and the the Mavs, you know, they Mavs match, matched up really well with the Lakers last year. Like they lost that one game on the Dwight Powell or the Dwight Howard hold. I don't know if you remember that, but Dwight Dwight Howard held so Danny Green could get a wide open three, which forced. Oh yes, I remember. Uh, <laughs> I was uh, going home, and I remember walking in the door uh, to the house, and I saw Danny Green. I think he hit the shot as time expired for it to go to overtime, yep. right? <laughs> And Dwight Howard was holding <laughs> Seth Curry's hips, so he couldn't get, and they didn't call a foul. And like you know, everyone, every Mavs fan was so mad about that. And then the Mavs actually beat them once, and they lost, I think, two times to them. There might have been three, but they they felt like they had that win too. So um, I think you know, <laughs> yeah, well, a moral victory. Well, you know, and I think KP and, and matches one of the very few people that can match up kind of on Anthony Davis a little bit. So with the Dwight Powell question, I was looking up. Um, what the Mavericks record was following that Achilles injury, because I remember they were doing, I think, better with him. They started off 27 and 16 with him playing. Then he tore the Achilles against the Clippers. Then after that, they went 13 and 11 before the shutdown. Do you think that speaks to Dwight Powell's value for this team? Or do you think a guy like Boban or Willie Colley Stein will be able to fill that role? Or do you think Dwight Powell is the guy? Dwight Powell is a really important part of their team. And he's a leader for their team and brings a lot of energy for their team. Like, you know, stuff that you maybe you can't quantify in, in his numbers. And so I think he's going to play a key role for them. I think he's going to start some games. He's going to play off the bench of games. Like Carlisle loves just to play the matchups. And I think he's going to keep doing that. Um, I think the white pal is a very important piece for them and he needs to be healthy and he needs to be able to still roll to the rim. Like he's one of the best rim rollers in the league. He needs to be able to do that. Achilles injury. You're always a little bit concerned about what a player looks like after that. You know, he's 29 years old and you get a little, so he's one of the players that I, I think Mavs fans will definitely be watching really closely this preseason. Like what does he look like? Does he look like himself? Does he need more time? And so that'll be really interesting. I think that if he's out and KP's out to start the year, which I don't think will happen, I think Dwight Powell's going to play on opening night, but I think they're going to start Willie Colley-Stein at the five. Yeah, because like you said earlier, if it's that situation, I think we're going to see more Josh Richardson minutes in terms of carrying the ball and trying to run the offense. I think we're going to see more Jalen Brunson play. What do you think will this Mavs team will do in that situation if – Obviously, Kristaps Porzingis isn't going to play for the first month, but just in terms of running this offense, like when Luca's not out there, do you think they're going to continue to use Trey Burke and Jalen Brunson how they use them? Or do you think Josh Richardson's going to eat up some of those minutes? How do you think the Mavericks are going to adjust with Carlisle? So that's really interesting. I think Richardson's going to be the kind of secondary ball handler when Luca's out there. And, you know, Luca was second in the NBA in touches. He was second in time of possession. He was second in drives in the NBA last season he touched the ball a little bit too much. And I think they think that was part of their, you know, close game struggles was Luca was just gassed out by the end because he had to do everything. And so I think Richardson is going to be a very important piece for that. And I think you're going to see him used a lot more of the role he was used in Miami than the one he was used in Philly. He's going to average, you know, three and a half, four assists a game. They're going to let him run some pick and rolls. They're going to let him do some things just to keep Luca a little bit fresher. Also, I think that's going to help Lucas three-point percentage like him just spotting up a little bit and playing off the ball it's gonna get him some open looks um when they decide to put Luca on the bench it's gonna be Jalen Brunson as the kind of floor general point guard and they're gonna put Trey Burke next to him as kind of the score the score guard like the sixth man type role 
Richardson could fit in that rotation and Carlisle likes to kind of go big and then expand or then kind of shrink it as the season goes on. So I think at the beginning, you're going to see Brunson and Burke out there plenty. And then as things get closer to the playoffs, you might see Richardson kind of coming in and taking that more ball handling role and kind of facilitating in that second unit. In regards to just acquiring uh, Josh Richardson from Philly in exchange for Seth Curry, Seth Curry's obviously led the, NBA before in three-point percentage. Josh Richardson is not as good on catch-and-shoots as Seth Curry is. Do you think that'll affect the spacing of this team at all, having a guy like Richardson who's not as much of a easy three-point maker as a Seth Curry? Uh, not really. So Luca made everybody's three-point percentage on the team last year better except for Chris Epsworth-Zingas. Like every role player shot a career high in three-point percentage. So I think Luca's going to make Richardson better. Richardson is also really, really good from the left corner. Tim Hardaway Jr. is really good from the right corner. So I think they're going to just kind of spread the floor. They're going to put the guys where they're good, and they're going to try to, you know, they're going to let Luca run his pick and rolls, get in the lane, pass out. They're going to be really, really good on offense. The place where Richardson's going to make the biggest impact is on defense. He's a really, really good on-ball defender. That was the one thing the Mavericks lacked last season. Like in that playoff series against the Clippers, they had no one to guard Kawhi and they had no one to guard Paul George early. As we saw though in the Nugget series, you can leave Paul George open in the corner sometimes and he'll just hit the backboard. So <laughs> the Mavericks could try that strategy and just see how that works. That is that is fair. And I actually think the Mavericks defense, like Richardson's going to make the Mavericks defense better because Dorian Finney-Smith is a good defender. Now he's going to be guarding the number two option instead of the number one. Like Richardson's going to take the number one perimeter guy. Put Dorian Finney-Smith on the number two guy. He's actually pretty good on the number two guy. Shift Tim Hardaway Jr. down to the number three guy. He's pretty darn good on the number three guy. So I think that kind of just adding in that, that primary piece is going to help everybody be better. Yeah, I believe the Dallas Mavericks, you would know this better than me, finished 18th in defensive rating. Where do you think with a guy like Josh Richardson, the Mavericks are going to finish at the end of this season? Well, Carlisle would tell you, I think a hundred times last year that they wanted to be top 10. They, that was their goal. They wanted to be top 10. And if you're top 10 in both, you're pretty much a title contender. So that's where they want to be. That's where they're trying to get. Can they get there with Josh Richardson? I think they can. Probably, they're probably sneaking in the back half of that top 10. But if their offense is still the first or second best offense in the league, like they're going to be in the hunt. Okay, I have to I have to ask this question if I have you on. So there's lots of talk in terms of like inner NBA circles about Giannis Antetokounmpo with his contract situation. Are Dallas fans buying jerseys with Giannis's name on it? Is that a possibility? Is that there? It's a real possibility. Um, if he doesn't sign the Supermax by the deadline, which is what, December 21st, I think? It, the talk's going to heat up even more and more. And then the Mavs play them in two preseason games, right? They release the preseason schedule and they go to Milwaukee for the first two. And you're going to hear that narrative sprawled out there everywhere, right? The, the Mavs have opened up enough room this offseason to have max cap space. They've talked about all offseason, this offseason, that they want to get a third star. They want to get a third star to pair with Luka and KP. Giannis is the guy they are targeting. I can 100% tell you that. They think they have a legitimate chance to land him. Who knows, right? Yeah, in regards to that situation, I know Luca is eligible for the extension this offseason as well. So obviously Dallas wants to retain him. Would it be possible to extend Luca to a 
max extension he'd be happy with and target a guy like Giannis. So yeah, so that next offseason is their offseason to do it, right? Because then the next year, Luca's rookie max would kick in. And they're not going to have a lot of cap space with KP's max and Luca's max on the books. So if they're going to get a third star, next offseason is going to be when they do it. It's a perfect time to, because that's a, <laughs> there's a lot of free agents available, like Kawhi Leonard, Paul George will be there. If they opt out of their Clippers deals, who knows? But it's going to be much more eventful than this past offseason where most of the moves were trades. For sure. And, you know, give Dottie Nelson credit. I, I think he's been planning for this. Like, this is my plan. I want to try to get a third star right here. And the Mavs are going to have, after this season, after next year's draft, their draft assets open up a lot, right? Because they've traded two picks to the Knicks in that Chris Tapps Porzingis deal. They're in 2021 unprotected. In 2023, they have a top 10 protection on that pick. But once you get past the 2021 draft, they actually open up some spots where they could trade some picks. And so their plan is they're going to try to get a third star one way or another, whether they trade for one, whether they acquire one in free agency, their plan is to add the third star and basically try to jump in title contention for four, five, six, seven years in a row. <laughs> Do you think that uh, the Drew Holiday, Holiday trade where we saw, I believe, three unprotected picks and then two pick swaps for Drew Holiday and essentially dumping the Eric Bledsoe and George Hill contracts. Do you think that trade has reset the market for those stars in terms of the draft compensation that will be necessary to get one of those guys? Well, so, you know, they talk about, you know, this is the way to re-sign Giannis, right? And then, you know, the, the Thunder basically did the same thing to the Clippers and that Paul George deal where they think they got some extra picks. Like, hey, if you get Paul George, you get Kawhi Leonard too. Hey, if you get Drew Holiday, you get Giannis too. So maybe, maybe not, but I think it did it does always have a factor, right? Cause you can go back to the team and say, Hey, you know, you know, they gave up three first round picks. These guys gave up four first round picks for Paul George. You know, we want that kind of draft capital. So I think it does in some ways, but it all depends on the superstar, right? Like we're going to see maybe James Harden gets traded and we're going to see what, what that deal looks like. And you know, that, that'll obviously have an effect on recalibrating the market too. Another question I want to ask is just about the, I know there's three, great uh, i know all of the nba teams in texas they just love each other right houston dallas san antonio they're all just great friends right oh one 100 right and uh yeah so you know the spurs finally fell off for the first time in what like two and a half decades whatever the number was uh <laughs> and and so now that the rockets you know there's all the bubbles right the bubbling up of something might be brewing uh Mavs fans are loving that right they're loving the the spurs down a little bit and the rockets potentially falling off a little bit and you know that the the now the new rival might be the pelicans though right like in that division like talking division rivals they might be the pelicans with zion coming up you know we'll see so when you see trade rumors of like Russell Westbrook doesn't want to be in Houston or James Harden is turning down the $50 million a year extension or any of these pieces of rockets drama. Does that just make Mavericks fans gloat and just really happy? <laughs> oh, for, for sure. For sure. For sure. It's always a good day when they beat the Spurs or the Rockets. You can, you can bank on that. All Mavs fans are happy. <laughs> <laughs> so in regards to the rest of this roster, obviously lots of the other pieces are coming back. Um, other additions you made, what do you think about Wesley Awunda? So that's a, that's a good question, right? So they have 16 guaranteed contracts. They're going to have to cut somebody before the opening night of the regular season. 
the battle is probably between Berea and Wundu. The question is, do they want someone that can play a little bit more or do they want the leadership and mentorship that Berea is going to bring? And Berea and Luca are very close. And Berea kind of, like, if you watch a timeout for the Mavericks, you can see Berea talking to Luca. Like, from the minute the timeout starts, he comes up and he starts talking to Luca. And I'm, I'm, you know, they're discussing, you know, things that they see, things that they want to do. And so, do they want that or do they want to want to? There's a potential that they cut Berea and he joins the, the coaching staff. You know, that's, there's some talk about that. Um, it's a good question. A one do, I actually really like a one do's defense. I think he'll be better three point shooter with the Mavericks. Like the Mavericks have had success. They improved Dorian Finney Smith's three point shot a lot. They improved Max Kleber's three point shot a lot. Dwight Powell has shown some, you know, potential in, in shooting some threes. So I think they're, they're going to help him shoot threes a little bit better. And I think he could be really good on the Mavericks. The question is, does he get that last roster spot? And that's a real coin flip to me. You know, you ask me on one day, I might say it's Beret. You ask me on one day, I might say it's a one do. Yeah, in regards to just a guy who's been with that franchise for a long time, I'm assuming if I were to bet, I would say he's probably going to get that Udonis Haslam treatment where he just has that contract whenever he wants it. At least from, because JJ Barea is beloved. Oh, one hundred percent. And you know, he I, I sometimes write that he's a he's a Mavericks legend, and some people are like, oh, you know, he didn't even play last year. I'm like, yeah, but that has nothing to do with anything. Like, he might not have played last year, but like, he's the last person from their 2011 championship team still on the roster. So, right, you know what I mean? Like, and and fans love him, and you know, he's the he's the underdog story. Who doesn't love that? <laughs> Our fans just like you know what I remember back in 2011 when LeBron couldn't guard JJ Barea in certain sequences, and that was the right, highlight right, of right. my and, life. <laughs> you know, and and I, I love Barea, I'll admit. And I wrote some stuff last year that I, I thought he was going to be better in the bubble, and, and he never really got that opportunity. And you know, maybe the Achilles injury at, at his age was just too much, but he actually showed some flashes and minutes that he played last year. Like you know, he had never he's never a great defender, but he's he's still a pick and roll master. And he can come in and get them some buckets. Like if their offense is struggling, he came in last year and on multiple occasions and, you know, helped the team score some points. So like from, from an efficiency standpoint, Jalen Brunson might be better, but when you see JJ Barea, he takes off his warm up gear. He goes out on the court or Mavs fans, just like, you know, this might not be for the best, but we're excited oh, to see it. him and out there. <laughs> you might've caught this. It kind of went, made the rounds on social media. He did the fake in the one game. Like he hadn't played. I think he still hadn't played yet. And this was probably like, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight games in. And he like faked like he was going to the table to take his warm up off. And then like he slipped it back on and sat back <laughs> down on the bench. And fans were loving that. <laughs> no, I definitely relate to some of those. I remember uh, getting laid into like Tony Allen or Zach Randolph's career in Memphis whenever, uh, <laughs> even if they didn't get as many minutes down the stretch. I remember like when they would check in, it would just be everyone to be excited. Like TA, get <laughs> right, in there. You, just, you know, you got you got the root for him. So uh, yeah, uh, Bray is definitely one of those guys. And so it'll be sad to see a Wundu go because I think he's a player with a lot of potential. He's 25 years old. Um, but I just don't know that they have the roster room to keep him. For sure. In terms of uh, draft picks, I'm assuming all of those guys have uh, signed up for contracts. I haven't looked into that as much as you probably have. So, but. yeah. So Green and Tyrell Terry, which are the two picks that they actually had, right? The 18th overall and 31st, they signed to the regular roster. They got the pick in that Seth Curry for Josh Richardson trade, which was 36th overall. Tyler Bay, he's going to be on a two-way contract and actually signed another undrafted rookie um, to be their second two-way guy, which those – 
guys can play a lot more on the NBA team. I don't think that that's going to be necessary for the Mavericks unless they're dealing with a lot of injuries. But um, Green is a, a really good on-ball defender too. And I think that's really why the Mavericks wanted him is he was one of the better on-ball defenders in the draft. And so I think if Richardson plans on leaving, like he has a player option after this season, you know, he declines that. He decides he wants to play somewhere else. I think that they want to put Josh Green kind of into that role pretty quickly of, you know, you're the guy who can defend the other team's best scorer. You know, you're just a spot-up shooter. Josh Green's very good in transition, too. He was very good in transition his lone season at Arizona. Uh, that's kind of the role I think they see for him, more of like a 3 and D wing. They're not going to let him handle the ball and do the stuff that Richardson's going to do, um, obviously. But I think he's going to play minutes as a rookie, too, which that doesn't always happen. But I think he's going to be in there for, you know, like that kind of 15-minute-a-game role. And then, obviously, injuries, things happen. He's, he might get a little more playing time. So you think Rick, Rick Carlisle, do you think he's going to have a tight leash on these rookies? Like sometimes he does with some of these guys or you can bank on that. (laughs) (laughs) Gotcha. Well, is there anything else we need to know about the Dallas Mavericks going into this season? Anything that would surprise people that they might not know? Um, that's a good question. That's a good question. Um, I think the thing to know is that they're one of the most fun teams in the NBA to watch, right? Like Luca is, is a highlight maker too. Like he's really good, but he's also a big time highlight maker. And so, you know, if you ever just knocking around league pass and you want to watch a game, if the Mavericks are on, I I recommend tuning in. For sure. Tyler, thank you so much for coming on the show. People can check you out on the smoking Cuban.com. I'm aware you have other outlets you might want to plug though on the podcast. So I'll give you the chance to do that. Um, so sure. If you're into fantasy basketball, um, I write for a site called uh, Hashtag Basketball, and I do a podcast, which is called Watching the Boxes Podcast. So if you like fantasy basketball, that's always good. For sure, definitely. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been a blast. Thank you. Hey, thank you.